Barclays uh, kickoff service for coming through Southern California. He'll be in San Diego all next week pretty much. We'll be down there. And so I would have loved to worship for the next <laughs> long time, but we got Dr. Barclay for one night. And so we want to make sure we give as much time as we can to him. Uh, he's our, you know, for all of you, you know, some of you don't know me, I'm Pastor Samples, pastor of this church. Dr. Barclay is my spiritual father. And I just uh, praise God for the way that, that, that he's been anointed and gifted and graced to speak to the body of Christ. He's a voice in the end time for a lot of things that the world needs to hear, especially the church. We want to see the church do all that God's called us to do because there's people that, that need a real church, not watered down, politically correct bunch of people that are afraid to say anything about anything, but people that live for Jesus, walk in the power of his resurrection, and able to demonstrate what people need when they need to hear it to get them free to live for Jesus. So that's why, that's why we want to give as much time to Dr. Barclay as we can. But before I introduce him, we have, we have some other pastors here. Would all the pastors that are here stand up? Pastor Phil, you and your wife. The rest of you? Yeah. 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 Hey, man. Hey, man. Pastor Phil from here in town, the Vineyard Church. Got Pastor Eddie from down the hill. Rachel Cucamonga, the Longs from Apple Valley, formerly Oak Hill, down that area there. And, and uh, we, just, we just want to give honor to people here believe that God's going to speak to everybody. We like to honor the pastors. And I just want to get out of the way so God can have his way. <laughs> Dr. Barclay can do what he needs to do. Doc, would you come up? Amen. Amen. God. Give a, give Hallelujah. To God. Amen. Love you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, it's good to be in God's house, isn't it? Give them a good hand clap. Come on. Good job. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. It is such a high privilege to be a born-again Christian, to bear your name. We're, we're, there's not a thing you've ever done. There's not a thing you ever gave us that we're ashamed of. We want the whole world to know that we're washed by your blood. We follow your ways. We're committed to your word. And we've got each other's back. Thank you, Lord, for our time tonight. This is a great time, a great church. Thank you for the blessing of God on our lives. And whatever any of us need, healing, deliverance, encouragement, directives, speak to us tonight, Holy Spirit, on what you have for us. We dedicate our moments together right now. We've already smothered it in prayer, in preparation. But now we just put our faith together that you're going to touch every one of us. In Jesus' name, say amen. Bless you. Be seated. Wow, it's good to see you. Hallelujah. And uh, it's good to be out here. At home, it's snowing. And we're supposed to get 10 to 12 inches by morning of snow. Now, that doesn't hinder us. It would you, probably. But we don't get hindered till about 16 inches. Uh, other than that, we just kind of take it as a challenge, a snow challenge, to get out there and do something crazy. Did you bring a Bible tonight? Prove it, prove it, prove it, or, you know, an electronic device or with a Bible on it. Hey, that's pretty good. Praise God. John 11. Come on, let's go there. Wow, you've been practicing. John 11. Aren't you glad we're happy about the Word of God? John 11. I'm going to read a verse or two, and then we're going to get into it, and then we'll see how the Lord leads uh, to bless you, maybe put a hand on you and pray over you. 
you know, to, to just put some fresh anointing on you. Praise God. Here in John chapter 2, we're going to look directly to verse 39. Everybody say 39. Jesus said, how many, pause, how many of you remember Jesus? Just, just check it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Now, this is the story of Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, who died. His uh, sisters and went to fetch Jesus and say, he, he, he's, he's sick and you weren't there and now he's dead. And, of course, he, he was laid in the tomb. That's the story. So Jesus is there. He looks at the tomb. There's a, in those days, if you had money, you had an enclosed tomb and they would roll a stone. Now, that sounds like a big old boulder, but it actually was on a track that they made out of mud or cement. And then the stone was more like a disc real fat disc, and the military or the gravekeepers, they had a way to roll that stone down that track, and it would, it would be just like this massive disc that would go in front of the opening of that cave. And then it kept strangers out from robbing the graves of any valuables in there and also kept the beast of the field out. So just so you have the right picture, back to 39. Jesus said, You take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, Lazarus' sister, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead for four days. Now, they didn't embalm in those days. And in Israel, they don't embalm today either. They don't believe so much in embalming. And verse 40, Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee. In other words, didn't I tell you that if you would believe... Thou shouldest see the glory of God. Verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. 42. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which I stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. 43. Pay close attention now. And when he thus had spoken, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. 44. And he that was dead, Lazarus, came forth. Everybody tell me the next word. Okay, bound is right. Everybody tell me, everybody say bound. Bound. He that was dead came forth bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. One version says, Let him go free. Now, this is a really powerful, powerful text. We get two or three things out of it that I just want to kind of build on for a few minutes tonight. Number one, I want to point out to you that Jesus Christ did not roll the stone away. He told his disciples to do it. That's our job. You and I have a name for rolling the stone away from dead people. It's called evangelism. The dead people we're concerned about mostly are those that are going to hell forever and ever and ever. Hell lasts as long as heaven. How long does heaven last? Tell me out loud. How long? 
forever and ever and ever. There's no end to heaven and there's no end to hell. There's no end to eternal damnation. There is no end to eternal torment. Well, I don't know if I believe that. You will three seconds after you take your last breath. It's amazing to me how many people who know literally almost little to nothing about spiritual things and little to nothing about eternal things that would want to argue with some like, someone like myself or Pastor Samples who are an absolute uh, expert at spiritual things and eternal things and have studied it all the days of our life. And yet people who don't even know about heaven and hell don't know if we're telling them the truth or not. Why would we lie to you about salvation? What do you think our gain is? Our, there's no gain for us. Once you get saved, we've got to put up with you. It's our duty to clean you up, fix you up, tolerate you. Come on. The other thing I want to point out here, well, maybe I'll clear that up a little bit. So when Jesus said to the, to the disciples, you roll the stone away, that's what he's saying to you and me right now. You witness to people that don't know me. You go find the spiritually dead people. You go bring them to the house of the Lord. You go witness to them. Uh, dead people can't roll their own stone away. Spiritually dead people that are on their way to hell, they're not going to get saved on their own. Somebody has to open up that grave they live in, we'll say, that dead life, so that Jesus can call them forth. The second thing that I want to point out here is that Jesus Christ called Lazarus to come forth. He didn't say, awaken. He didn't say, arise. He said, come here. Come here. That's the number one call on every human's life. Jesus is saying, you come here to me. You come and follow me. You come be with me. One of the greatest mistakes a human being could make is to say what we call the sinner's prayer and invite the Lord in your heart, but not follow him. I've been studying this for years. You're not going to find verses where Jesus said, endorse me. Where Jesus said, I need to be accepted. Please accept me. You will find verses that says, he's knocking on the door of every human's heart. And if you just invite him in, he'll come and live in you. Amen. And uh, that means he'll stay there. Yeah, praise God. So Jesus said, come forth. But he put Lazarus' name on it. Or every grave tomb would have opened by the authority of the Almighty God. I like this idea that Jesus said, Lazarus, you come forth. You come here. If, and, and he did. He, will, he couldn't help but under the power of Christ. The Lord knows your name. And the Lord knows my name. This isn't the first illustration in our Bible where God, it was recorded that he called somebody by their first name. All through the Old Testament, we have different portraits of, uh, in, in recorded history. The Old Testament is history. It's not made up. It's, it's recorded and passed through the ages. And we have all kinds of, uh, you know, Samuel, for example, thought it was Eli calling him, but it was God. Samuel, Samuel, he learned that voice of God by God calling his name. How about Saul on the Damascus Road? And God said, Saul, Saul. Down he went. Up he went. Down he came. And man, did he go from there to obey the living God. Everybody say it. God knows my name. Yeah, he does. 
Yes, he does. He knew your name while you were still a sinner. Jesus Christ knew Mark Timothy Barclay and met me in my mother's womb. That's what the Bible teaches us. Now, I wasn't... Preachers, you know, we're not born preachers. We don't come out of our mother's womb preaching. There's no tattoo on me from birth that says you are destined to be a preacher. I'll tell you the truth about preachers. When I grew up, I thought all teacher, preacher, pastors, you know, we'll call them preachers. I thought all preachers were nothing but cookie-nibbling, tea-sipping ladies' guys. Obviously, I have changed my mind about that. But wait a minute, but not all of them. Because some of them are flat out hirelings and cowards. But most true preachers, I didn't know this. Because you see, in my life, I wasn't raised a Christian. Uh, My mama just died not too long ago at 90 years old. She's in heaven. But when she raised us, there was no heaven about anything. She was more pagan than any person I ever met in my life. Oh, man, she knew the name of God, but it wasn't used proper. Let me tell you that right now. And so I asked my mama, you know, a few months before she died, I said, Mom, I don't ever remember, you know, all the years growing up, we're talking 18 years with my mama. My daddy died, got sick when I was about 10 and and passed on. But my mama raised me and three other demon-possessed Barclay boys. And uh, we probably really weren't, but it was really borderline. Maybe we were, I'm not sure. But so I asked my mama, Mom, I don't ever remember praying all these years we grew up. She said, that's because nobody in our house ever prayed. Think about this in America. Think about being raised in America and not a person in your house ever prayed. I never heard a prayer. We never went to church. So I wasn't, I said, Mom, I don't ever remember one Bible verse ever being read in our house. She said, that's because there weren't any read in our house. I do remember a Bible. It was that wide, that tall, and that thick. And it laid on the the little table like this in front of the sofa, and it was the family Bible. And it had all our names. The most we ever got was we opened the cover, and it had my my grandpa's name, my dad's name, and my, you know, the family tree thing was written in there. And then my mom threw pictures and stuff in there, and that was it. So I went to a vacation Bible study as a kid, not to learn. Mama didn't take us there to be Christian. It was her only reprieve. <laughs> Just remember, next time you do something here, in the, like in the summer or something for kids, and the parents drop them off, uh, just, just remember how much relief you're bringing to moms. Thank God for moms. And uh, so, I don't know, we, I can't remember how old I was, just a little guy. And we went to um, vacation Bible school at this little corner church. I just went to visit this little corner church in the little village in northern Michigan where I was raised. I'm writing my autobiography because Forbes and some other want my story. And so I'm doing that myself. And I I went up to take a picture of this little chapel. It blew me away. I'm about as tall as it is. But, you know, when you're a kid, everything looks so big. Anyways, so we went to vacation Bible school. It was cool. You know, they said we're going to have we're going to sing and. We're going to have some Bible classes and, <clears throat> excuse me, 
and uh, we'll, we'll teach you how to pray, and then we're going to go out and play some things in the yard they're telling the kids. And then we're going to glue all these popsicle sticks together, and we're going to make Noah's Ark. Well, I'm not a church kid. <coughs> I don't know who Noah is, and I don't know what an ark is. <coughs> but I'm cool with gluing stuff together, you know, so that's my thought. So, okay, uh, we, we, we do our little deal the first day, and she, we glue a couple little sticks together, and she's got a little picture of Noah's ark. And, and then we come the second day, and we went through our little thing. We got down to gluing the sticks together. <clears throat> and I, I raised my hand, and she ignored me. So, you know, I raised it again. And uh, finally she said, you know, son, what do you want? And I said, listen here, lady, I think I speak for all the kids. We're tired of you taking all these popsicles home and eating them all and bringing us dry sticks. Now, tomorrow, we want some cherry and some grape and stuff on these sticks right here. Don't we, guys? Not a person supported me. It's one of the lonely moments of my childhood life. Dead silent. That was the end of my summer vacation Bible school. They took me home. Of course, you know, I probably, well, honestly, well, humbly, didn't really say it with the same words I just told you. I told that old biddy off, man, really good. Of course, we had foul mouths. She marched me home. I got the whipping of my life, man. Wow. <clears throat> that was my only church that I ever had. I did get married in a church. I, uh, I met my Vicky at uh, 13. And, uh, you know, I chased her and we dated. You know, we weren't Christians. Christians court and pagans date. We dated. And uh, at 18, I asked her to marry me. And she said yes. And we've been married ever since, almost 46 years. Yeah, amen. Praise God. It's, it's a good thing. So we did get married in a church building. But believe me, it was for picture-taking purposes only. And then um, I had such a mean streak in me. I wanted to hurt people. I was so angry. I, I was so angry my dad got sick. I was so angry that he died. And I'll tell you what really made me angry was this preacher at my dad's funeral when me and my three brothers were standing by my dad's casket looking at him. And this preacher said, now, 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 boys, you understand that God had a purpose for taking your dad and he needed him in heaven. I don't know any Bible. I, I don't know if that, I know now that's wrong. But I didn't know it. But it made, but something, I kicked him in the shins, punched him in the belly and, and said, you're a, you're a liar and ran out of the building. And I, and I was never right since until I met Jesus Christ. I never was right. I joined the Marines. You know, if any of you have been in the military, uh, you know about boot camp and stuff. I went to San Diego here, uh, boot camp. Later on, I worked at San Diego for the recruit battalion, you know, when I come out of Vietnam. But I went to boot camp. And you know, you're, you know you have issues when on the last night, and I don't know if they still do this or not. You, how long have you been out of the Marines? A long time? Fifteen. So any, any younger Marines? I just, how long since you've been out? One year. So in boot camp, does the DI still like sit around on the last night or two and talk to you about your MOS? or They still do that? Okay. 
So that's what happened in my day. It's been so long ago. Uh, thank God there's still a Marine Corps. But anyways, this is what my DI said to me. He said, Barkley, this is your MOS, mil- you know, military occupation. And he said, I have a question for you. Now, this is a Marine DI to a recruit. What a blankety blank has made you so mean? And I said, well, I hate everybody. I'm going to hurt people, and that's why I want to go to Vietnam. And that's why I enlisted, and that's why I got the billet I wanted, which meant you get to hurt people and shoot them and stuff. And I volunteered for Nam, and I went to Nam, and I hurt a lot of people. Under duty, of course. I know, that, I know that's vicious. Don't look at me like that. I, I met Christ since then. I haven't heard anybody like that in six months or something. Get out of here. Get out of here. <clears throat> and so I went over for ten months and ran my missions and such. And, um, you know, you shouldn't. I think about this all the time. I went to Vietnam. I'm the boss of my team. Uh, we got some really weird, hairy missions. We ran them, you know, every day, every other day. And uh, the men under my rank, their life is really in my hands. I'm the decision maker, especially once we dispatch and we're inbound. And I went over there and people died around me and got hurt and everything all the time. I could have... I think about this now. I didn't think about it then. Probably too dumb. I think about this now. I could have been. I could have been killed any day of those ten months and went to hell forever. You know why I would have went to hell? I didn't reject Christ. No one witnessed to me. My blood would have been on somebody's hands that was told to go talk to that guy, whether it was when I was a kid or one. See, I believe that with all my heart. And so I could have died. I, I, just, I just told Vicky this the other day. Man, was I a ding-a-lang. Go over there and flirt with death and have it all around you, and you don't even know Jesus Christ, and you would have went to hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and there's no end to it. But when I come back after that 10-month period, I was going to be reassigned, and I, and I volunteered again to go, to, to go back to run my unit and do my work. Uh, in, you know, in, in the missions there. And in that 30-day period, I stayed at some little apartments in Carlsbad outside Camp Pendleton. And uh, some three people came by. They were young people like myself, you know, maybe 18, 19, 20, 21, somewhere in there. They come by and they knocked on my door at my apartment. And I didn't answer it. You know, you're just out of nom. You're not right. You don't like people. You don't answer the door. So they banged on the door again. Finally, after about the third bang, I went out there, grabbed the door. I opened it so fast, the young man came in with it. And turned around, went right back out. And I said, what do you want? And he said, we've come to tell you about Jesus Christ. I said, I'll give you five seconds to disappear. And he didn't. I, yeah, I hit him so hard, he flew off from four steps, rolled twice, and took off running, and so the two girls with him, and he, and, and he, just, and he just takes off. Next day comes. See, I feel bad about that now, all these years later. 
But I didn't feel bad about it that day. They were trespassing. Bunch of stupid church people trying to tell me stuff. See? And so that's why I understand sinners so well. Because I was a champion sinner. And so I ran him off. He come back the next day. Now think about this. I'm not right with God. I'm not right with life. And I'm not right with me. And thou shalt not ring my doorbell. And he did. And he stood there. Now, you know, a combat Marine just out of the battle zone. I'm a professional. I broke his nose. He come back with two black eyes. His nose was all bent. And I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you how stupid I was. And so he bangs on the door, and I open the door, and it's him again. I said, are you like a... What's the right word you can say in church? Not all there? <laughs> Little slow learner, are you? I said, hang on just a minute. I went in and got my 45 and racked it and came out and held it on his forehead. What is it you want from me? Uh, 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 and he started backing up. I said, you better run, man. That's all I got to tell you. You better scat really, really, really fast. So he took off running down the steps across the driveway. And, and just almost out of sight, he stopped and turned around and said, you better get your heart right with God. God's got something for you to do. And took off running. <laughs> I shut the door and... and and Vicky said, Vicky come running out. She heard the commotion. She come, my wife, she comes out of the back. She goes, who was that? I said, it's just some pest in the neighborhood. I took care of it. And uh, ended up back in Vietnam. I'm on, we're on this mission deep in a jungle on a border. We're probably, I don't think we were, we were supposed to be there, so we don't say what it was. And it's me and this, <laughs> me and my right-hand man, this corporal, and we would lean back to back because you're dead tired, and we'd lean like this, and he'd lean like that, and, and we didn't sleep because you've got to watch the whole perimeter. There's just two of you, and you're in the enemy territory. And, man, it was raining something fierce. I mean, it wasn't dripping off the helmet, man, or the soft hat. It was just pouring. And uh, I can't get this ding-a-ling, stupid church guy off my mind. I can't, I, I can't get him out of my mind. I can't, and so I, I, I'm concentrating on my mission, but at the same time, I mean, it's the dark of the night, man, and I'm saying, what, what was wrong with that guy? I beat that guy. Is he stupid? And then, it, But this thing kept coming to me. Well, maybe there is a God, and maybe he does want you for something. And then I, you know, sinners, I'd say, no, that ain't, there ain't no God. That's so stupid. You know, that guy's just dumb. I should have shot him. You know, this is going through my mind. You're not, when you're not saved, you're not right. And when you're not saved in a combat zone, right so far away, you can't even get a hold of it. And so I said, and finally I turned, I, I went like this to the corporal. I said, let me tell you a story. And I told him this story. And he said, you beat the guy? I said, yeah, I, I, I don't think I probably shouldn't have, but I hit him pretty hard. I mean, and the corporal said, and he come back the next day? I said, yeah, these, 
is that's how stupid these church people are. He said, let me get this straight. You beat him. He ran off. He come back the next day and he just knocked on your door. I said, yeah. And you held a pistol to his head. I said, yeah. And, he, and, and then he runs out in the parking lot and he yells at you. You better get your life right with God because he's got something for you to do. Yeah, that's how it went. I just told you the story. But so what do you think about that? He said, uh, I think you better get your life right with God. I said, wait, 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 wait. I, listen, I knew he didn't know God. I knew I didn't know God. But when you're that close to somebody, you, I already know there ain't a God thing about this guy. Whatever demons didn't live in and around me were living in him. And so I said, I actually turned around and said, you know God? He goes, I don't know God. I said, well, you just said I should get right with God. I said, he said, well, why would that kid come back? I said, because he, he said, no, 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 Gunny, listen, nobody's that stupid. You scared that guy. What if God sent him back? I said, I'll shut up or I'll shoot you. <laughs> so I'm leaning there again. And this is, people don't like it. People don't like my salvation prayer. But it took so deep. That's 1972. I never turned back. I looked to heaven and said, um, these uh, Christian people, these church people say you're up there. I, I don't think so. But, um, in fact, I kind of feel weird talking to the sky. So my ding-a-ling friend says, who, I, I, who are you talking to? Shut up or I'll shoot you and stab you. Um, if you're really up there and you're this God that this kid says you are and you take somebody like me, have at it. And in a moment's time, man, my heart melted. I'm sopping wet. Yeah, you can clap once because that's the power of Jesus Christ. Yeah. My heart, something happened, man. My, I call it my heart melted. That old hard thing, wherever it came from, it melted. And though I'm sopping wet in a monsoon, I could feel warm going down my face. And I was crying. Now, that might not be a big deal to a lot of people. But my mama said she only remembers. Now, I'm sure I cried as a little tinky, uh, little dinky infant. But my mama said, son, you never cried as a kid. We, when I spanked you, you'd never cry. When you were sick, you never cried. And so this is how I got my mom saved, by the way. I said, well, Mom, I'm going to tell you. I'm a grown-up grown United States Marine on my second tour combat missions. And, uh, and I was crying. I didn't say, I'd be going to cry. I just kept saying, stop crying, you fool. Before he hears you crying and your career here is over. I couldn't help it. I could feel the warmth. And I kept saying, I'm, I'm crying. My heart is, what is going on? 
and I realize uh, that the Lord come to live in me. I'm going to tell you something that's the gospel truth. From the moment I accepted Jesus Christ, all hatred left me. It just totally left me. I'm telling you the truth. It totally left. And I didn't like, please take it out of me. Or yeah. I don't know any Bible. You've got to remember this. When people get born again or get saved or they come in here and get saved, they're not, they're not fixed yet. And they may have no Bible in them at all. You, some of you have been so Bible taught year after year. You're a, you're a walking biblical library. So when pastor stands up and teaches something, you've already got such a beautiful base of knowledge. But a guy like me, no church, when I got born again, I didn't understand 75% of everything pastor preached. Oh, I understood the English. I wasn't illiterate. Didn't, couldn't get the meetings at all. And, uh, but everything in here changed, man. I remember uh, going to my boss and... Um, I worked for a flagship, uh, the, the Red Room in a flagship, the, the bosses over Vietnam. And that's who I ran, that's who I worked for. And so I went to my boss. He's a very high-ranking, uh, you know, official officer. And I said, uh, I'm not doing this duty anymore now. I uh, find something else for me to do. And the kind of stuff I did, they couldn't force me to do. It was all volunteer. And I, and I said, I won't do it. And he said, well, why not? You're one of the... <laughs> The best we got. You and your team is one of the most vicious insertion teams that we have. I said, I'm not doing it. So he says, come with me a minute. And I went in the back. I'm not born yet, am I? That's four. That's enough. Hallelujah. I went in the back because I'm helping myself right now. Praise God. And we, I went in his little side room. And he said, um, you don't want to run these missions anymore? I know. You don't want to do what you're doing anymore? No. He said, you found Jesus, didn't you? I said, I was shocked at that, that, that he would ask that question. I said, I looked at him. I said, well, yes, sir. That's what's happened to me. I, the chaplain, uh, not the chaplain. The chaplain couldn't tell me, by the way, what happened to me. That's why I put so much money now into the chaplain corps. But, uh, but uh, uh, the chaplain assistant, which was an enlisted man, he said, well, what's happened to you, Marine, is you got born again. Huh? See, so you know these terms. You remember this. Many people that are, that are going to come out of that world because it's so painful out there right now and so dark. Demons are driving them. They're hearing voices. They're bombing each other, shooting each other, raping each other, stabbing each other, stealing each other's kids. They're going to run upon you. They're looking, for, they're looking for deliverance. They're not looking. And so... You know, you remember that, that when they come in here, they don't even know. A lot of them won't even know your terms. I said, well, sir, the chaplain's assistant said I got born again. He goes, well, that's what happened to you, son. And that's why you don't want to, you know, shoot and work like this anymore. I said, that is correct. I used to hate people, and I wanted to hurt them. But honestly, uh, that's all gone. I can't do that. He said, that's because you didn't work under duty. You worked under hatred. But I'll teach you how to work under duty. And when I show you how many lives you'll save, 
how many literal legs you'll save by pulling the trigger maybe one time, you'll go back to work, sir. And it won't be driven by hatred and evil. It'll be driven by duty. Wasn't that good advice? And, uh, and he helped me uh, because I found out he was also uh, one of these born-again weird people. Amen. Isn't that great? So, I don't know. I guess I'm just telling my story. We ought to get back to Lazarus and tell his story. But uh, the other thing we learned from this text, remember the text we read like 45 minutes ago? That one of the things we learned from that text is when, when Jesus said, you roll the stone away, Lazarus, come forth, come here. Not wave at me, endorse me, want me, hope, accept me, come here. And he did. He was still bound wasn't he? We just read it. He was bound hand and foot. He's a mummy. He's mummyized. You know, he's wrapped as a mummy and he's bound. And even his face and head is bound, you know, in, in the way they did that. And yet when, when Jesus said, come forth, he wasn't all fixed. There's no verse that says all the grave clothes disintegrated and he come walking out saying I'm healed and I'm alive. He came out totally bound. I believe that's very significant in Mark Barclay's life and I believe it's very significant in your ministry to other people that a lot of people come out of the old life and the grave and they get born again and they find Christ through us but they're still bound hand and foot. That was Mark Barclay. You could not have convinced me for a second that I wasn't born again. I know I was. But now, don't, don't expect me to act like it yet. Because I wasn't fixed yet. You know why I wasn't fixed yet? I wasn't churched yet. The biggest lie of Satan is to get you out of church, keep you out of church, and teach you that you can find heaven and live a good life without church. Because most people don't know what church is even all about or why they're here. The church, the church that I found when I come back to the States out of Nam, the church knew about these verses. They knew that their ministry was to take people like me and get us free from our grave clothes. They knew that. Now, I'm not going into all my detail, uh, but... I drank really bad. I actually was an alcoholic. I couldn't live without booze. I medicated myself with booze, even though I was a young man. But then again, I, I grew up in booze. That's why I don't, I, I'm so trying to help Christians put down the substance abuse, man. You are slowly either killing yourself or you're ruining your life. Ah, uh, you know, you get saved, you lose all your fun. Shut your face. There's no fun to wake up swollen every morning and nasty and, and you want to puke and you got a migraine headache like, you know, and your eyes are popping out. You don't know what you even did last night. Stop it. That's ridiculous, man. I lived there. So I still smoked about a pack and a half a day. And uh, I medicated myself with booze really, really bad. You know... I was in the room when my family doctor told my mama um, I was about 12 years old. And our family doctor said, Mrs. Barclay, Mark is bleeding inside from alcohol. 
12 years old. He'll never, and this is how he said it. He said, he'll never see 18, 19, 20 years old if you don't get him off this alcohol. I found out years later, like only maybe 10, 12 years ago, I asked my mom, Mom, this has been bugging me all my life. Um, how does a kid become an alcoholic at 12 years old? How does that happen? And my mama hung her head as she said, I knew this day would come. I've been regretting it all of, all of your life. But son, we were such heavy drinkers that uh, your relatives, when you were just a little guy and you had your little bib overhauls on, your little sucky bottle in your back pocket because you weren't quite weaned yet, we put juice in there. They would put alcohol in there. Now, I didn't let them do that, but I found out they did it, and then they really laughed. They thought it was funny when you wandered around and got drunk as a kid from your, from your sucky bottle, and it got, in your, it got in your system, and you were addicted a whole lot before 12 years old. I couldn't. I knew that was hurting my life. I knew that was hurting my walk with Vicky. I knew my mama was ashamed of me. But how do you get free? Anybody that can free himself would never do anything like that to perpetually hurt yourself and ruin your life. You can't get free. And even if you're determined, it's, it's but for a season. So I, I went to this church. It was about the size maybe of this one section. And they knew about grave clothes. And, and uh, P- Pastor Bernie, they said to me, Now, Mark, we believe you know Jesus. But you're a mess. you got some really bad problems, son. But that's what we do here. That's what we do here. We'll get you free if you don't leave us. I said, you, and I would tell him, ma'am, sir, I said, listen, you have no idea what is in me, around me, and what I do and what I've done. And I'm not so sure that I, you know how my mind is? I'm not so sure that I fit this church thing, that you may not be able to get me as free as you think you can. Now, I'm not going to resist you because I hate Mark Barclay, but I love Jesus now. And so they started working on me. You know what I loved about that church? I told them all later on, you know, because I end up getting fixed and getting the ministry. So later on, I told them, listen, um, I, I went back to, I visited homes, and I said, I want to thank you for not giving up on me. You know what every one of them said? I probably visited 20 families, you know, once I got and came back. And every one of them said, I'd say, I, thank you for not giving up on me. I was such a mess. I loved Jesus, but I... I just don't know why you didn't run me out of the church. Every one of them, this is what they said. Mark, we were grateful that you never gave up on us. That's what we were grateful for. Because you could have got discouraged and just said the church is powerless and I'm not getting fat, you know, fixed. And, and, but you didn't give up on us. Wow. So they got me free from alcohol. Never touched it since. Don't want any. Don't need any. Been there, done that. We thank God for the delivering power of Jesus Christ. Thank God for church. You know how many people accepted Jesus Christ, TV, Internet, conference, something, 
and then never went to church. Therefore, they're probably not really serving God. They probably know him, and they're probably not fixed at all. They still live a terrible life, even though they really have accepted Jesus. That's why the Bible calls them carnal Christians. They're Christians, but they live carnal means natural. So they lived as if they never met Jesus Christ at all. Wow, what a terrible place to be, to meet, to meet the deliverer and the resurrection and the life and still live a life that you can't get free from the binding forces. Well, they got me free from booze, that's for sure. They got me free from cigarettes. I can't tell you how many packs of cigarettes I ran over with my pickup truck. I want to encourage you about something. That pastor in that church had an altar call almost every service. And almost every service, I went up there for the same thing. And the pastor would whisper in my ear, Now, Mark, you keep coming. You keep coming to this altar. We had an old lady called Sister Pentecost. Because we thought she was that old, first of all. But she was just a Holy Ghost woman, man. When she prayed for you, she grabbed you by both ears and shook you. Now, man. So we thought she spoke in tongues more than English. So we thought she was from the day. We we didn't really believe that. But we we teased and called her Sister Pentecost. And Sister Pentecost would whisper in my ear at church. Say, all this happens at church. You get free at church. You get anointed at church, man. You don't do it at home. The guy on the Internet, I'm an Internet preacher. I have a massive global following by Internet. Massive, 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 massive. And I have a, I think, I don't know, I think our telecast pings like 3.5 million people every time we're on television. Massive. But there's no way I can touch those people. You can't get touched. You can get taught. It takes church and altar and needs to get free from the binding forces. That's the beauty of church. Jesus said to the disciples, Lose him! Let him go free! What's he saying? Get those grave clothes off from him. Disciples, that's your duty. He didn't run and do that. Jesus didn't say, Come here and let me unwrap you. He said, All of you, you get the grave clothes off from that guy. And that first church, they had this revelation, man. And they knew their duty was to get me fixed, meaning get me free. You know what, I, you know what else? You don't know those people, but you know what else I loved about those people? They never condemned me. They never did condemn me and say, you're never going to make it. Go to hell. Get out of here. I don't mean go to hell like a slang word, but, just, you know, you're damned. Go to hell. That's where you're going to live your eternity. You know, we can't help you. How dare you come to church when you got alcohol on your breath? And No, 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 listen to me. Nobody in that church ever condemned me. <clears throat> but let me tell you something else that the modern church doesn't get. Nobody in that church ever condoned me. Not one person ever said, you're okay. Not one person said, ah, oh, we don't care if you drink. Not one person ever said, I don't matter if you smoke a little bit, Mark. Come on. Not one person ever condemned me to hell or ran me off. And not one person ever said I was okay. Just the opposite. Just the opposite. They would take, put an arm around me and say, Mark, don't you give up, man. You're a mess. You got more problems than ten people put together in here. That's the kind of stuff they tell me. 
But there's freedom for you, son, if you want it. We can't force you to be free. But if you want it, we can get you free. That's the power of the church. We don't throw people out because they're not perfect. But you certainly don't go drink a beer with them thinking that's going to convince them to be free. Oh, I'm going to tell you one more story. Uh, Thank you for your enthusiasm about that. But I'm going to tell you one more story. You know, a guy raised on booze wanting to be free. I wasn't free yet. I was working on it. I'm going to church now. They're helping me. The elders are helping me. Sister Pentecost is helping me. Pastor's helping me. So, you know, I just, coming out of the world not knowing the church, I could not believe that this many people was dry on the wagon, dry. You know what I mean? I couldn't believe that. So, I told Vicki, Vicki, um, these people can't set me free if they're not free. And I'm so des- desperate to be free that if, if this isn't the right church, I'm not going to sit here and have them pretend like they can help me when I'm so desperate to get all this junk out of our lives and live, live a better life uh, than this. And so she goes, well, what are you going to do about it? I said, i got a plan. Vicki knew me from 13. She said, do not tell me this plan. I know nothing. I don't want to know anything. And so after church service, I kept a log on the whole church. Okay? I logged the whole church. And after every church service, I would, I would wait and get in the parking lot. Like, so let's just say you're number 10 on my list. So I'm in family 10, and I would, uh, I would follow you. I would follow you home. And then I would see if you're going to stop at the 7-Eleven for some beer or something else. And yes, I humbly admit, as wrong as it was, I did a lot of window peeking. But not in bedrooms, not in bedrooms. Clean your mind up. Many times after the Sunday evening midweek service, I'd be in somebody's yard all camouflaged. I'm a professional. And, and I'd stick my head up in the window and see what's at the dinner table because I couldn't believe that that many people could be without alcohol. That can't be true. They're lying to me. And if they're lying to me, they can't get me free. So they'd come home. I'd be a bush in the front yard. I'd cut down a bush out there and camo up, and I'd be hunkered down. And, and I thought I really got busted once because this one guy came home with his family and I'm, I'm right into a bush right by his garage door. This guy got out and literally bumped into me in that bush. And I thought, when Pastor finds this out, I'm dead. And he looked around for a minute and went inside. And I thought, Whew. wow. And I finally got to Pastor's house. He was the last guy on the list. I found no booze in that church, not in the fridge. Not on the tables, not at the picnics. Nobody stopped at the store and bought any. So I went to Pastor. I said, Pastor, I got a question for you. What is it? Do you drink? He looked at me like some of you just did. He looked at me for a minute and he said, Are you talking about alcohol? You know, I'm still bound. I said, Well, what else would you drink? Of course I'm talking about alcohol. He said, Mark, we don't drink, man. We're Christians. 
He got free. We're not worldly people. He said, ask anybody in the church. Uh, no, it'll be okay, Pastor. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> so they started fasting and praying with me to get free. And uh, after a while, you know, I'm not getting free. I'm trying. I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm reading verses, Pastor, you know, like we tell people to do. And uh, finally, I go to church, and Sister Pentecost is there, of course. So after church, she comes up to the altar, because that's where I went. I come into church, I went to the altar. When we had worship, I went to the altar. When pastor gave an altar call, I went to the altar. When pastor didn't give an altar call, I went to the altar. And when church was over, I went knelt at the altar. That's how desperate that I wanted to be free and not be bound anymore. And I already felt like that big because you were so right. You were so clean. You love God. All the things I wanted to be, you've mastered. So I already felt horribly out of place. And so one day at the altar, here comes Sister Pentecost. And she says, Sonny boy! She's only like that tall. You almost had to pick her up to look in her eye to talk to her, you know. Sonny boy! Yes, ma'am? How you doing with that booze? Uh, ma'am, not very well. What's, what's your problem? I said, I can't. It really bothers me, ma'am. I can't get free. I'm tormented. I don't want to do this. I've had it. I'm sick of it. I've had it all my life. Why? And she says, well, what are you doing about it? I said, well, you know, the, the elders gave me some verses, and I've been fasting and praying, and, you know, at the altar. And she asked this powerful question. It's like kindergarten level. But it's powerful. She looked up at me and said, well, what are you fasting? I said, food. You know, my staple food at the time. Pizza, hamburgers, you know, food. She said this powerful statement. She said, well, is it hamburgers you want to get delivered from? I said, no, ma'am. How about trying fasting some booze? You never thought of that. Then she said this to me. She said, son, all you are is a starving, hungry drunk. That's all you are. You're you're depriving yourself of food. You're hungry and you're a drunk. And that's all you are. Just keep throwing away the hamburgers and you'll be even hungrier and you won't break the booze by throwing away hamburgers. She said, you start fasting booze. Maybe you've never been bound. But when that statement came out of her mouth, I felt my hands start to shake. Because that, that had been my God. It's in my blood. It's in my mind. Well, to shorten the story, I guess. Um, she said, just take one night and don't drink. When you master one night, then uh, you'll drink again, son. But take another night. Maybe a day or two later. And, um, and then go two nights. And then you'll drink again. But take another night and go three or four nights. And then I got my pastor involved. And I started going on alcohol fast. Amen. And uh, one day, and 
19, whatever it was, 72 or something. I took my very, uh, that very last drink. And it was in a fast. I called a fast. And uh, my first fast, I made it through the night. Pastor, my pastor at the time said, hey, if you want to fast that alcohol, I'll stay up all night with you. And I'll pray with you. You can come here. I'll come to your house. Or we can be. But he said, if I find out in the morning I stayed up all night praying and you went to bed or you went to drinking, we're going to fix you all right. So I fasted. I called him. He called me in the morning. We didn't have cell phones then. And he called me in the morning and he said, how'd you do? I said, Pastor, the first time, seriously, I made it through the whole night. He goes, man, Mark, that is so good. What are you doing now? I said, I'm on my third Budweiser. (laughs) This man was so wise. This man, this preacher was so wise. He said, now, Mark, you listen to me really carefully. By noon today, the devil's going to convince you you can't get free, that you blew it. But instead of letting him do that, when those voices come and you condemn yourself, you say, one day I'll be free. I may not be today, but for the first time I made it through the whole night without it. Isn't that good counsel? And they, I remember, I'm going to quit in a minute so I don't bore you like you don't ever want to come to church again. But uh, I remember getting rid of cigarettes. They were a little easier for me than alcohol. But I'd been smoking since nine years old. And I wanted to be free. I couldn't tell you how many packs of cigarettes I left at the altar. Because our pastor at the time would say, bring every paraphernalia piece of trash you got. You know, he'd say, if you're a gossiper, draw a picture of your tongue and lay it on the altar at the feet of Calvary, you nasty mouth. And, and he'd give an altar call. All you pukers, get up here. You know, gossipers. All you drunks, get up here. You smokers, throw them on the altar. Man, I qualified for like all of it. So he says, I might as well just left my shirt and my shoes and, you know. But I said earlier when I quit, I finally got delivered from smoking. It was a process. And I used the same process Sister Pentecost taught me. I fasted cigarettes. And I went from a pack and a half a day to a pack and a quarter. And then a pack. And then three quarters. And then four. And then three. And then two. That last cigarette was like Goliath. That dude didn't want to die, man. Think about being all the way down to one cigarette a day. And, and, and that one cigarette, it's like you hold it and you cherish it and you worship it. You smell it. Maybe you never smoked before. You know, I don't know. But uh, I couldn't tell you how many I put under my tire of my pickup truck and just spun the tires and shredded them. So that's it. I'm done smoking and drive three miles down the road, stop at 7-Eleven and get a pack. (laughs) I still remember what my mind said when I smoked my first cigarette. When When I lit up the very first cigarette and inhaled it. I coughed, had my eyes burnt, my nose ran, I couldn't breathe, and my brain said, You're killing us! Stop it! And I remember what my brain said. 
on my very last cigarette. I said, that's it, I'm done. You can't do that. You're killing us. You'll have a nicotine fit. And I realized just then, just how stupid our brain is. That's the battlefield. Lift your hands to heaven. And if you are free, rejoice. And if you're not, say, Lord, set me free. I, I, I don't want any binding forces. And, you know, I'm all, if you're all done with it, if you're not, we can't help you. But just worship him. His name is Jesus. He's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Savior. Yes, and I'm not the only guy the Lord has ever changed his life. Oh, we love you tonight, Lord. Help us get out of all trouble and stay free because that's where the power is. That's where the good life is at. In Jesus' name, say amen. Everybody say, loose him. And let him go free. You know, the book of Corinthians says that when you, when you invite Christ to live in you, it says you're a new creature. A new creature, a new creation. You're not a remodel job. Say it. I am not a remodel job. When you're born again, you're a new creation. It goes on to say, all things have passed away. Dead and gone. All things have become new. What things? No, no, no. All is numerical. That tells me how many. When you say almost all, half, or all, it just tells me how, how, how many. But what things? Define them. If I just became a Christian and God said, now you're a new creature, all things will pass away or have passed away. You know, they're dead. It's like the fig tree. It might still be standing there, but three days later it's going to wilt and fall out of your life. What things? And if all things have become new, what things are you talking about? Because the color of my hair never changed when I got born again. <laughs> it's changed since working with you folks, but up until that time, praise God, it hadn't changed there. What things? The things you say. The things in your mouth. The things you feel. The things you do. The things you do with the things you do them with. That's what's, that's what's going to wither and pass out of your life. And all things become new. New words. New feelings. New habits. New practices. I'm preaching pretty good right now. If I wasn't sure that I was born again, I'd give myself an altar call right now. I know it's a time to pray over you, but can you handle one story if I keep it short? Really? You sure? Now, I don't want to bore you to where the pastor invites, you, invites me back again and you all stay home by the busloads, okay? Um, we're testifying to the glory of Jesus Christ. Probably everybody in here would have a dynamic story. Even people raised in church have a great testimonial story. It may not be like... You delivered from darkness. Maybe you got delivered from religion. I didn't, but I've had religious people tell me, you know, Doc, it's just as hard to get rid of some of that religion as it is some of those habits you had. I don't know that because that's not where I come from. I'll tell you one last story. Joe, 
If I try to tell a story after this one, you grab me by the arm and say, time to go, son. Well, you say, sir, time to go, sir. Got it? That's your assignment. So there's hope for everybody. How many think Joel will do it? Will you do it? Probably not. If I tell one more story, you'll do it. Okay, this is it. Huh? You'll stop him? Okay. This, this is my last story, and I'm going to pray for you. One of the other issues that Mark Barclay had was rage. Terrible rage. Even after I got born again, I didn't have that same, you know, vehement hatred back rage. But, man, I could just light up like that, lose my temper. Uh, and just hurt things, hurt myself, you know, hurt people. I didn't want to do that, but I did. And I'm new to the church, you know, they're still working on me. And we're at the back steps. Our church had steps going. We're out the church is over. We're out at the back steps. And pastor comes out, and there's four or five or ten of us, you know, standing back there like church people do. And this one guy just lips off the pastor. He just gets in his face. And so, you know, where I come from, you don't talk to a commanding officer like that. What is your deal? So I stepped out there and I said, that'll be enough of that. Shut your mouth and get away from him. That's my pastor. Do not do this. This is a guy, I'm telling you straight on a guy that's not fixed yet, okay? I don't want any of that in this church. So he says, I'll say to him what I want to. Oh, man. The next thing I remember is he's down on the ground. I am on top of him. I got him with shirt, tie, throat, and everything. His face is bloody, and I'm ready to hit him again. And the brothers are grabbing me. And the first thing I heard was, Mark, don't hit him again, man. And they hauled me off. And I looked at him, and I realized what I did. You already feel this small. When a guy like that is around pure people like you and holy people, you already feel like you this big. And when I realized what I did, my heart sunk. And I went home and and uh, Vicky said, Mark, what on earth? I said, Vicky, I feel horrible. But he lived off the pastor and I lost it. You know? I think pastor was really mad at me, but I think he wanted to make me the head deacon. He didn't say that, but I got this mixed signal like, if you ever do that again, boy, thank you very much. Praise the Lord. You know, it's like, he didn't do that, but it's kind of like, maybe, maybe I just wasn't right enough to get the right communication. And, um, man, the more I thought about that, the worse I got. And I, t- I finally, you know, my, Vicky's really been so much, Vicky's so much better than I am. She always has been better than me. And she come and I was sitting on the bed and I had my Bible open, but I was really too out of it, numb to read it. And I said, Vicki, she sat next to me. I said, Vicki, this is the truth. I'm not good enough to be a Christian. Those people are good people. They're, they're the best people you and I have ever met in our life. And I'm not good enough to be there. Look what I did. Look what I've done. I, I'm, I'm going back to the base. 
and I, you go to church and take the kids, but I can't. I won't go back there. I'm, I, I just don't fit. I, I can't. I can't do that. I don't want to hurt those people. She goes, they understand, Mark. You just got to quit doing that. I said, I, I know they understand. That's why they're good people. But I can't, I can't do that to them. Their kids saw that. You know, that brother was wrong, but I, I don't have any right to hurt anybody like that. He didn't deserve that. And I was not going back. I was done. Oh, I don't know. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and the guy I clubbed called me on the phone. We'll just call him Bob. Wasn't his name. But, uh, he said, uh, you know, we didn't have cell then. He called me, and I answered it. And he goes, um, this is Bob. The guy you, uh, you know, punched today. I said, man, listen. Um, and I started, I was going to tell him I'm sorry, which, which where I come from, I don't, know if any, I don't know if I ever did that before, to be honest with you. And he said, well, I called to tell you I forgive you. Don't laugh at me. But you know how ignorant I was? I didn't know what that meant. We never said forgive in the Marines. I never heard the word forgiveness. I heard the word aggression. I heard the word attack with severe prejudice. I heard the word sick them, get them, assault, attack, launch. Forgive? I never heard. That was never used in our house. And so, believe it or not, when he said, I called to forgive you, Vicky said, who is that? I said, it's Bob. The guy you nailed? Yeah. Well, what's he want? I think he's picking a fight. <laughs> and she said, what? I, he's called. I think he wants to meet with me and have it out. Well, what's... No, what did he say? He called me on the phone. He just said, it's Bob, the guy you beat. I forgive you. She said, Mark, you idiot. That's church talk for you and him are going to be okay. I said, really? I said, are we going to be okay? He said, if you don't club me anymore. I said, well, I'll tell you the truth, man. Uh, I, was, I was really wrong. But, and I don't fit in. I know you guys have done everything you can to help me, but I don't fit. And I'm not coming back. Um, so I'm just really, I feel bad for what I did. And he said, I'll come pick you up. Church is at 6 in the evening. I'll come pick you up about 5 o'clock. I said, no, 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 no. No, don't, don't come pick me up. I'm not going. He said, I'll be there. You be ready. I said, don't come here. And I hung up. He came. About just right on time, knocks on my door, and he says, you going to church? I said, I told you I'm not going back. He said, you're going back. I said, no, I'm not. I said, and he said, now listen to me. You're not only going back, I'm taking you back. Because you gave us your word, Marine, that you wouldn't give up on us. And you stay with us until we got you free. And he said, he looked right in my eye. He said, you're not thinking you're free, are you, Mark? I said, no, I'm far from free. He said, well, then you're going back to church because all Marines keep their word. Remember honor and code? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Now, listen to me. I walked, church was going. I walked in that door. And as we, and he's walking with me. He had two seats saved right about right here. Of course, in the front. Couldn't just slip in the back. And we started walking up that aisle. And as we passed Rose, they looked and they saw me and that man, you know. And, and we're walking together. Church is singing. And the rows begin to clap. Everybody in, you know, it's a small church, but, you know, you always have a center aisle. And on both sides, they just, every time I walked by a row, they clapped and stood to their feet. And by the time I got up here, the whole church was standing and clapping and, and, and looking at me. And this brother I club said, see, if you don't give up on us, Mark, we'll get you fixed. And they did. They did. Say, thank God for church. Yeah. Thank God. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you. You can take a really dark, lost young man out of the woods of northern Michigan, tormented, driven, filled with anger and hate, and not only getting born again, but sending to a church that knows how to fix him. I'm so grateful. So grateful, Jesus. And now I pray, Lord, over anybody hearing my voice, whether it's the internet or they get this recording later or anybody in this house, it has to be their choice to be born again. They've got to want to chase you. They've got to want to be free. We can't free anybody that wants to be bound. But it is our duty to loose other people. The Bible says, Lord, you know it. It says, freely you have received, freely give. Now bow your heads with me if you're not already, please. If you don't know my Jesus, tonight's your night. Do not leave this building being driven by evil forces anymore. The way you start this is to ask the Lord to come live inside of you. Now, you may all be born again, for I know, but nobody's looking around. You know it's private and uh, just between you and me right now. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do it right now. Just lift your hand to him. You're not lifting it to me. I'm not your Savior. But if you do not know Jesus, lift your hand, and he'll recognize your act of faith, and he'll come live on the inside of you. Is there anybody at all? I'm just going to give this call. Now, if you get this recording later... And you hear this, you, wherever you're at, you just lift your hand to Jesus and say, Lord, come and live on the inside of me. It won't hurt to say, I repent. I'm sorry. It won't hurt to say, Lord, I don't make a very good God. I've got to quit calling my own shots. I need your help. If you know Jesus and you haven't been living for him, you say, oh, Doc, I know the Lord, but I'm in trouble. I've got stuff all. I just need to help. I need to be fixed or... I, need to, I, I haven't been living for him. If that's you, you lift your hand right now, and we'll pray for you right there where you sit. Thank you. I see you. Sure. Okay. A couple of hands. Anybody else? Don't be shy about this. This is a uh, thank you. This one of the best. Thank you. This one of the best decisions you can make right now. Let's just get it right right now before you and Jesus Christ. One last time. One last time. I'm going to pray. Don't go out of here bound to Satan when you can go out bound to Christ.
Christ. So one more time, if you're not right with God, maybe you don't know him, maybe you do and you haven't been living for him, you slip your hand back up. You can just put it up and down. Put your Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see you. Okay, now we're all going to pray this prayer, okay? The Lord will know who's praying it for the first time. And the Lord will know who's coming home, like you're going to reconnect like a prodigal or like you cooled off or something. So all over the building, everybody pray this prayer. Again, if you're by Internet or if you get this recording later, you pray the prayer right now. If, it's, if, you, get, if you get it two years from this date, you can still pray the prayer right now. It'll still work for you. Everybody pray it. Lord Jesus, I repent for trying to be my own God. Calling my own shots. I ask you to come in. Inside of me. You said. That you stand at the door of every human's heart. And you're knocking. And all we got to do is let you in. Lord. I let you in. Forgive me. Come live in me. And I give you my word, I'll do my best to chase you, to learn of you, and to be found now in your army. In Jesus' name. Now the Lord will know who's praying. Let's pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, it's me. I'm back. I'm recommitting. I'm reconnecting. I want you in my life. And I want to be free. Use me now. Fix me first. And then use me to help so many other people. Make me an expert at removing graves clothes. In Jesus' name. Now, everybody pray this prayer. The Lord's hearing us. It's not responsive like responsive reading. We're praying and the Lord's hearing us. Now, pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm done I've had it. I'm finished with my habits that are not holy. Now, I don't know what those are. Okay, so I'm just going to name some things. And like I'm going to say, I'm done with smoking. Now, you may not even be a smoker. But you say it because then it allows the guy trying to get free from smoking to say it out loud. You ready? So, Lord, I ask you to deliver me from smoking, from drugs. From alcohol, from pornography, perverted sex, over uh, zealous lust. Forgive me, Lord, and cleanse me from hurt, the refusal to forgive, holding grudges, being prejudiced. Forgive me. And cleanse me. Now lift a hand to me. Everybody. Lord, I pray a prayer of deliverance over this congregation. I know not everybody here is bound, but there might be one. There might be one. Everywhere I go, there's probably a Mark Barclay somewhere. And I pray right now, Lord, that you sever 
take the big shears of God and cut the invisible supernatural rope that ties this nasty stuff to us. And may the delivering power of Jesus Christ free us finally that we can walk away from these binding forces and live a free life, a life of freedom and master life. I pray that over every one of us, and may the anointing just sink strong on, uh, on all of these that are bound and all of these that want to be free. And I thank you for it. I love you, Jesus. I thank you for my deliverance. I thank you for, for setting me free. And I thank you, Lord, for setting these free in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Please don't be dismissed, but let's stand together just for a minute. Pastor's going to come in a minute. Don't just, just hold a minute, you know, stand and stretch out a little bit. Oh, I don't know if I.